Hi, and welcome to The Turbulent World with me, James M. Dorsey, as your host. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has found a substantially altered political landscape as he tours the Middle East for the fifth time since the Gaza War erupted. On the one hand, the war has hardened Israeli and Palestinian position. On the other, Saudi Arabia appears more eager to finalize a comprehensive package deal that would include recognition of Israel. Even so, the obstacles to securing a ceasefire and the exchange of the remaining 136 Hamas-held hostages and bodies of captives killed in Gaza for Palestinians held in Israeli prisons remain formidable. So do the impediments to bridging differences on achieving a comprehensive package deal that would include resolving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Hamas took some 250 civilians and Israelis captive during its October 7 attack on Israel, in which more than 1,100 people, mostly civilians, were killed. In November, Qatar negotiated a one-week ceasefire during which Hamas swapped more than 100 hostages for 240 Palestinians incarcerated in Israel. Raising the stakes, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu this week left Mr. Blinken empty-handed during talks in Israel by rejecting as crazy a Hamas proposal for a prolonged ceasefire and a prisoner swap. Mr. Netanyahu implied there was no need to negotiate with Hamas because we are nearly there with complete victory, adding that Israel would not do less than that. For his part, Mr. Blinken described a ceasefire as essential, raising the question whether Israeli-U.S. relations have reached a point where the U.S. will have to apply overt pressure rather than maintain its bear hug approach to force Mr. Netanyahu's hand. While there are some clear non-starters in Hamas's response, we do think it creates space for agreement to be reached, and we will work at that relentlessly until we get there, Mr. Blinken said. The secretary said he had raised profound concerns about actions and rhetoric, including from government officials that inflame tensions and undercut international support and place greater strains on Israel's security. Hamas has proposed a 135-day truce, involving three phases of 45 days each, during which the remaining hostages and bodies of captives killed in Gaza would be exchanged for an unspecified number of Palestinians held in Israeli prisons. Prisoner swaps would be staggered over the four-and-a-half-month truce. Reconstruction of war-ravaged Gaza would start during the ceasefire. Speaking on Al Jazeera, Hamas political bureau member Mohammed Nazal insisted that the group would not compromise on its demand for a permanent ceasefire, an end to the war, and a withdrawal of Israeli troops from Gaza. The full ceasefire would be negotiated in the second phase and embedded in other agreements. Any obstacles can be ironed out in the negotiations for a final agreement, Mr. Nazal said. Israel's rejection of the plan stalls not only the ceasefire talks. 
but also U.S. efforts to achieve a comprehensive package aimed at resolving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The deal would involve a legally binding U.S. defense commitment to the kingdom, U.S. support for a Saudi civilian nuclear program, Saudi unfettered access to U.S. weaponry, a resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with the creation of an independent Palestinian state, and diplomatic relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Despite Mr. Netanyahu's assertion, Israel has failed to deal Hamas a fatal blow. Four months into the war, Israel has yet to hunt down Hamas's most senior Gaza leaders. U.S. intelligence estimates say that Israel has killed or captured at most 30% of Hamas's 30,000-strong fighting force. Israel's failure is compounded by the severe tarnishing of its international standing because of its war conduct, the consequences of which are likely to haunt Israel long after the guns fall silent in Gaza. Israel's reputational damage leaves it dependent on U.S. and Western support that is likely to prove increasingly fragile. Israeli failure has emboldened Hamas. Hamas, like Israel, believes that hardening attitudes will ultimately force the other side to capitulate. Hamas has complicated the Qatar-led efforts to end the Gaza war and facilitate a process that could lead to the creation of an independent Palestinian state by issuing blood-curdling statements that reinforce Israel's post-October 7 trauma. Israel has since October 7 adopted a fortress mentality and lashed out like a wounded and blinded creature, killing more than 27,000 people in a four-month brutal assault on Gaza. In the most recent unhelpful statement, Ali Baraka, the Beirut-based head of Hamas's National Relations Abroad Department, this week told Al-Manar, the television channel of Lebanon's Iran-backed Hezbollah militia, that we can repeat October 7 many times, because once you storm, they collapse. Today, the Arab fighters storm in. They storm the Gaza envelope, and tomorrow they will storm the Galilee. They will storm in from wherever they can. Increasingly, Mr. Netanyahu is caught in the Cats 22, even though Mr. Baraka's statements serve his purpose. Mr. Netanyahu's war goals of destroying Hamas and freeing the more than 100 remaining hostages seem incompatible. Hostage families demand that Mr. Netanyahu prioritize their family's release, even if that requires ending the war. Yet, a majority of Israelis favor continuing the war until Hamas is no more. At the same time, Mr. Netanyahu's far-right coalition partners threaten to bring his government down if he agrees to a potential deal involving an extended ceasefire that would allow a staggered exchange of hostages and bodies. What Mr. Netanyahu fears most is losing the majority in the Knesset that took him four years and five election campaigns, including 18 frustrating months out of office, said prominent Israeli journalist Anshul Pfeffer. Like Mr. Netanyahu, Hamas could face political reckoning once guns fall silent. 
Palestinians have taken Hamas to task for provoking Israel's assault on Gaza. In a series of op-eds and statements in Israeli, Saudi, and Emirati media. To be sure, the publication served Gulf states and Israel's interests. However, that does not necessarily call their sincerity into question, even if it is nearly impossible to gauge public opinion in Gaza and how it may evolve once the fighting stops. Hamas is an oppressive ideological religious organization that steals our freedom, enslaves us, abducts us at gunpoint, and suppresses any voice that opposes it. Hamas rejects the idea of the civilian state, which it sees as a desecration of everything holy and a violation of Sharia law. It's a religious, totalitarian, tyrannical government that restricts freedom of expression. It's an exact copy of the Iranian regime. Thunder Gaza resident Abdullah, who identified himself only by a first name in a column on the Israeli news website, The Liberal. The odd thing is that Israel is playing right into Hamas's hands. I don't know why Israel doesn't understand that its interest lies in separating the militants from the civilians, that this is the way to weaken Hamas's standing, Abdullah went on to say. The problem is that Hamas is the snake that grew up in Israel's embrace. Benjamin Netanyahu and his government are the main ones responsible for the growth of its military power. Israel did nothing when Hamas seized control of Gaza, though it could have easily intervened and stopped the coup. And Hamas went on to exploit Israel's blockade of Gaza. Hamas profited from it, strengthened its presence, and boosted its popularity, Abdullah added. Speaking on Dubai-based Sky News Arabia, Zaid Al-Ayubi, head of a little-known Jerusalem-based Arab Center for Strategic Affairs, suggested that today the people of Gaza are saying, true, Israel is killing us, but Hamas is also killing us. Writing in the London-based Saudi online magazine Elaf, Palestinian journalist Majdi Abdul Wahab asked, how can we not curse the people who caused this Given this complete devastation, how can we not curse Hamas and its leaders after they have destroyed every element of dignified existence in the Gaza Strip? When Hamas carried out its attack, did it expect Israel to refrain from retaliating in force and delivering blow after blow to Gaza, given its desire for revenge and international backing? The criticism contrasted starkly with the results of an Arab Center for Research and Policy Studies public opinion poll in 16 Arab countries. 67% of those surveyed described the October 7 attack as legitimate, including 79% of West Bank Palestinians and 58% of Saudis polled. Overall, 89% of those surveyed in the 16 countries rejected Israel's recognition. 92% of West Bank Palestinians and 68% of Saudis polled shared that view. Public support for Hamas this October 7 attack and rejection of Israel's recognition explains subtle differences in statements by Mr. Blinken 
and the Saudi Foreign Ministry on a potential package deal. Speaking in Doha, Mr. Blinken said Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman had reiterated Saudi Arabia's strong interest in pursuing relations with Israel, conditioned on an end to the conflict in Gaza and a clear, credible, time-bound path to the establishment of a Palestinian state. Saudi interest in a deal involving Israel, while Mr. Biden is in office, is driven by a concern that the United States, should Donald Trump win the November U.S. elections, may be less inclined to commit to guaranteeing the kingdom's security. Even so, the Saudi ministry insisted that the kingdom has communicated its firm position to the U.S. administration that there will be no diplomatic relations with Israel unless an independent Palestinian state is recognized on the 1967 borders with East Jerusalem as its capital. It's unclear whether recognition was required prior to the actual establishment of the state or once the state is created, and if before the establishment, whether it was the United States or Israel, or both that would have to recognize Israel. The lack of clarity is significant, given that Mr. Blinken's State Department is exploring possibilities of recognizing Palestine as a state in an apparent attempt to pressure Mr. Netanyahu to soften his rejection of such a state and approach to the hostage negotiations. In a signal that the U.S. may move ahead with elements of the package deal, Lockheed Martin this week subcontracted two Saudi companies to locally produce parts of the United States Terminal High Altitude Area Defense, or THAAD, system. The Saudi companies will be the first non-U.S. producers of parts of the anti-ballistic missile system. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed today's column and podcast. The Turbulent World with James M. Dorsey depends on the support of its readers. For the past 12 years, I have maintained free distribution as a way of maximizing impact. I am determined to keep it that way. However, to avoid putting up a paywall, I need the support of a core of voluntary paid subscribers to cover the cost of producing the column and podcast. If you believe that the column and podcast add value to your understanding and that of the broader public, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. You can do so by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Thank you, take care, and best wishes. 